What is up, fellow thermonuclear AFers? I am Dan Valley coming at you with another Hardwood Knox look ahead. We're on to the Minnesota Timberwolves. I am very excited to be joined by who can now be called the frequent guest of the podcast, <laughs> Derek James. Follow him on Twitter at Derek James MBA. That's at D E R E K James NBA. All of that spelled exactly as it sounds after Derek. He covers the Minnesota Timberwolves for his own Substack now called by Derek James. If you follow him on Twitter, you can click on that link and subscribe. I highly recommend his coverage. Uh, and if you've listened to this podcast for a while, you know that he's been on a few times already and there's no one else. I'd rather talk Minnesota Timberwolves yet with um, out there. The most important question I will ask though, Derek, how the heck are you doing? Doing well. How about yourself? I am spectacular. Very excited to talk some Minnesota Timberwolves with you. Very excited to hear that you're you're back to writing again. Uh, I know you came on last year and you were like, well, I don't know if you still want me to come on because I'm not really writing anywhere at the moment. I was like, definitely still want you on, but I'm excited that you get to write again because it seems like you missed it. Yeah, no, it was definitely a great time. I mean, being back. Um, and I think just, I think it was always kind of sort of figuring out how I wanted to do it instead of just being, you know, tied to a website and being accountable to an editor um, or um, a staff as well. You know, I would kind of look at it, you know, like you're part of a team. And I mean, as it was, I was like, I'm not really interested in doing, you know, game recaps, stuff like that. Like, I feel like, you know, I put in those times, like I was able to, you know, get up, you know, and do this you know, semi-professionally for a while. Um, but now yeah, I, t- I just want to write. And so it's been a lot of fun, I think. And it launched at a weird time, I think during, um august and but it was nice because there was a WNBA playoffs there was international ball um so it's good to write WNBA again and some you know some nba stuff that came in um i'm yeah you know i think the last one was out september um not september but um last saturday uh, so i'm still it's kind of an odd time because i've worked in between vacations and i just want to make sure that um i think the next one will, will probably be out soon if anyone wants to follow yeah, I would recommend following along. And my feeling is this team specifically, the Timberwolves, are going to give you quite a little bit to, to write about this year. And when I was putting together this outline, I had really I had no idea where to start because there are so many things I want to ask you. And so to begin sort of generally, like factoring in all the moves that they've made, are there any just themes or thoughts from the offseason entering this year that are really sticking with you as we head into 22-23? Yeah, so I think what really resonated with me was um, after the Rudy Gobert trade when Tim Connolly was talking about, you know, why they made this move and why they paid the price that they did was, you know, wanting to take kind of that next step and maybe that they'd sort of maxed out that roster. Um, you know, you could have kept your picks. You could have brought Patrick Beverly back, you know, for another year, kept our guy Jared Vanderbilt. Um, but, you know, unless, you know, so. Anthony Edwards and some other guys were really going to take those big steps. It was, he was probably right. Um, and so I just think it's incredibly cool when teams, you know, are actually going for it. Cause I know that, you know, over the years, I think, you know, we've had a lot of conversations about teams not trying to win, um, not necessarily trying to lose, but not necessarily trying to win either. Um, so it's cool when these teams are going all in on that, even you know, if it costs a lot, like is, Rudy Gobert going to be on the roster when that 2029 pick conveys to Utah? He might not even be in the NBA. Um, but, and Cat will be 34 wrapping up his career, oh, you know, God. hopefully in Minnesota, but, um, you know, and, but it could very well be elsewhere too. Um, but it's, you know, you, you want to see a, a team like this, you know, get back to the playoffs, you know, steal a couple games. I mean, they very well could have won that Memphis series if it wasn't for a couple of good sure. adjustments. Um, but just see that and go, well, you know, we we came this far, you know, how do we get even further? Like, so I think them going all and taking that next step is pretty cool to see for a team that, you know, really has not mattered for the bulk of their existence. You know, for a lot of those KG years, even, I mean, KG was the reason they mattered. Um, so I, I just think that I think the big theme there is you know, sort of taking that next step forward and, um, not just hoping to get lucky and, you know, repeat the success of last year and just get back to where they were, but a team that aggressively, you know, looked to take that next step. 
And that was my initial reaction because I do. And I, I just want your thoughts on like the actual cost they paid to get Rudy Gobert. But when you look at what the Timberwolves gave up for Gobert, when you look at what Atlanta gave up for Murray and then Cleveland for Donovan Mitchell, the fact that it was these three teams from, you know, they're all like good markets in their own sense, but like they're non-flagship markets. And the fact that they were this aggressive as a fan of whatever team, you should want that because you should want more than a handful of teams to act this aggressively and you should want the sort of you know misterity that comes with holy shit cleveland came out of left field and just traded for donovan mitchell or minnesota was flirting with the idea of giving up a lot less for miles turner and then said fuck it let's give up everything for rudy <laughs> gobert i i want teams to there's a conversation to be had about the opportunity cost and the fit to be sure but I, i'm a fan of teams going for it like that's at the end of the day I don't think you need to be championship or bust all the time, but the end game is to be one of the best teams in the league contending for, if not winning a title. And that's what the Timberwolves were angling for with this move. And I think regardless of how you feel about the fit, there's at least a pathway to that happening now that didn't exist before this trade happened. Yeah. And I think, you know, I look at like, and I think you just talk about like how much it excites these fans that, you know, especially in Minnesota that have not been, you know, this excited in so long. Um, but then, you know, like you think like, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that LeBron James going to the Lakers was bad for the NBA. It's probably been great for the NBA. They also won a title. Like, so it's actually undoubtedly good for the NBA, but it's also great when these non-traditional markets have something, you know, fun to be excited about. I, you know, I, I don't really know the last time that, you know, a team like the Cavaliers, you know, were in, independent of LeBron exciting, you know, but now they are, you know, low days maybe. I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I think Mark Price was probably still on the team. Like it <laughs> wasn't when, you know, um, overweight Sean Kemp was on the roster still. Um, no, but yeah, I think you're right in general. It's cool when all these, you know, different fan bases um, from these teams that we're not as familiar with um, are give us something to be excited about. And, you know, it just adds intrigue to the rest of the league. And so ultimately, like, what did you just make of what they actually gave up to get Rudy Gobert? Did that take you back? Like, or were you taken aback at all when you first saw the report? And even now, we're two plus months later or whatever it is that you had time to digest it. Is it still like, you know, what are just your impressions of how much they, the opportunity cost of making this happen? Yeah. So, I mean, this is definitely just about all the pieces they can give for now. Uh, so I, I, I know my initial reaction to the, the Timberwolves are acquiring, you know, Rudy Gobert. It's like, oh, shit, they're what? <laughs> like, this team doesn't do that. Um, the Jimmy Butler trade might have been the previous biggest trade. And, you know, before that, I don't know. Like, this is not a team that does this sort of thing. So that was interesting. And then I know I was talking to some people on Twitter, like, before waiting for, you know, the deal to come out, more details about the deal to come out. And it's like, okay, the players, like Malik Beasley, kind of, Useful but frustrating. And I'm not upset that I don't have to watch him and Ant on a two on one look up Ant streaking to the basket to pull up for a jumper. <laughs> like, I, I, don't, I don't need to see that again. Um, but, you know, he's a useful rotation player. Jared Vanderbilt, we like Jared Vanderbilt. Uh, but do I trade him? I trade him for Rudy Gobert every single time. Like, that's, that's not really a question to me. You know, um, so there's really, you know, and I know they can walk Kessler, uh, but these are not guys that stop me from acquiring Rudy Gobert. Um, no question. Um, but the pick, the picks definitely took me back. That was a hard one to deal with uh, at first. And I looked at it, you know, I think, like I said earlier, like, you know, is Rudy Gobert going to be in the league in 2029? Like that's, you know, he's in good health, you know, knock on wood. Um, but there's no guarantees in the league in 2029. Cat mm. will be, you know, at the end of his prime, you know, by the time that pick, pick conveys. And, you know, how are you going to, be able to supplement the talent on this roster. But then I kind of look at it and I think, you know, what we talked about earlier, like how awesome is it that, you know, they went all in to get, to get better, um, to raise the ceiling on this team. You know, even if, you know, they probably don't win a championship, it's very unlikely, but you know, winning a playoff series, that is a notable deal for this franchise. Winning two would be huge. Like, you know, it's, it's okay to be very good to great sometimes. And you know what? You, you stay good. You keep yourself competitive and a little luck in the right matchup. You could find yourself, you know, maybe stealing a series that you shouldn't have. I'm not saying, you know, they could eventually win the championship with this. I 
generally, I don't expect the Minnesota Timberwolves to be a championship team, but you never know how far they can go um, with this sort of thing. And I mean, I, and what a ringing endorsement of the rest of the locker room too, where, you know, it's, you have a guy like Anthony Edwards, you know, who, you know, that some people might, you know, could look at and be like, oh man, if he was in LA or New York or Miami or, you know, wherever, um, you know, he could be, you know, he'd be the biggest star in the league. Um, and then, but then for them to be like, yeah, we think, we think you're going to be so good right now. We are willing to trade all this to get this guy to help make this team even better because we know that you're going to be just as big of a part to take that to the next level. And there's definitely a lot of faith too in some of the guys down the roster, I think, to get better. I mean, I was thinking about it before I came on. This is probably one of the first iterations of the Wolves that has actually drafted and developed players. Um, guys like Nas Reed and, you know, Jordan McLaughlin and Jalen Noel. Like, these are all guys that have been here four or five years at this point. Uh, there have been stretches of time I've been covering this team alone where four to five years have passed and there would be one guy from the start of that period of time that was still on the roster. I mean, there's been so much turnover in this franchise that, you know, I think that if they were ever going to make a deal like this, it makes sense for them to do it now um, because they have developed and drafted so well for the first time in their franchise. Um, and at some point, you know, I guess you gotta, you gotta take your shot. Um, and I, th I think there's definitely some upside to this. It's not all championship robust, I think, but there's definitely a chance that this really pays off for them. I think uh, it was also sort of indicative of just like, that's the cost it is to bring in stars. Now we saw it with Donovan Mitchell yeah. because three agencies, there's not the same type of movement. And I, as you mentioned, I would just echo, you didn't give up any core players. And so that's why the draft pick equity is so obscene. If you want to call it that, like you didn't have to give up Anthony Edwards or Carl Anthony Towns. To get, you didn't even have to give up Jay right. McDaniels. Like you paid the premium to keep these guys and get Rudy Gobert, um, which I respect the actual fit though. Let's start on the offensive side. I think it's dynamite. What do you make of the fit between not just Rudy Gobert and Carl Anthony Towns, which everyone will be most fascinated by, but Rudy Gobert and the rest of this team in general. Yeah. I, I mean, I think the cat one is kind of easy to see. Um, I think one other lingering thought that I had right after what with cat was, this pretty much seems to be the team, you know, saying, look, we're not going to ask you to play center anymore. Like we know now after how long has he been in this now? I mean, it was seventh year. Like we know that you're not going to be able to play, you know, center on the defensive end in this league. Mm -hmm. And that, I mean, it seems like that's not necessarily an indictment, but I think maybe the team just, you know, sort of coming to terms with that and no longer trying to, you know, fit a square peg into the round hole. Um, but the rest of the team, I think that, it, you know, I think one of the interesting things that I first thought of was, oh, well, D'Angelo Russell. I mean, it kind of seems like, you know, he's going to be the odd man out. He might be kind of expensive. You know, he's kind of an inconsistent player. Um, I think it was, I was talking to Britt Robson on Twitter about this. He was like, oh, man, the, the lobs that he's going to have for Gobert. And I think, you know, and you know, I think probably on the other end, having someone behind him to clean up those defensive mistakes is going to be extremely valuable, too. Uh, sorry, sorry, my, puppy really... was actually chewing a, my puppy was actually chewing a pen, and I did not want him to get to all of that. So I hope you I were able. We're I hope you were able to stop him. <laughs> I think so. Um, on defense, do you think the like? How do you feel about the defensive fit? Do you think that the Wolves are still going to play ultra aggressive like they did a lot of times last year? Are they going to be a little bit more conservative because of having Rudy Gobert there? Just what do you sort of make about what this team should look like and be like defensively with him? Yeah, I, I'm definitely expecting them to be a little less aggressive. I mean, I was even rewatching some of the Memphis series and just how, you know, how high they were playing, you know, how they were getting to the ball. Like it was, it was really incredible just to revisit. I'm like, wow, like that's, that's pretty aggressive. Like John Morant from 30 feet. I mean, don't let him get ahead of steam, but if he wants to pull up by all means and, you know, so I, I imagine that having that extra safety net back there, I think that was also, you know, one thing you saw. Um, in that Memphis series was how guys like Brandon Clark were able to just get in, you know, get inside easily. John Morant is a great player, but, you know, there really wasn't anyone to deter him from doing that. And given that this is such a wing-driven league, I think that just, you know, even having Gobert back there, um, 
is going to make such a difference. I mean, I know like guys like Gobert are necessarily deterrents. And sometimes I think we saw like with Andrew Wiggins, you know, he would, it seemed like he would target Rudy Gobert because, you know, he wanted to dunk on the seven foot three guy or however tall he is. Um, but I think having someone else there maybe make them think twice or even alter the shot at the rim. I think there's definitely some value in that. Um, so yeah, I would definitely anticipate them probably being a, a little less aggressive on that end and just playing a little safer and trust in, you know, your multi-time uh, defensive player of the year. I will say, given how good I think Andy Edwards already is at just like general on ball defense, the idea of him maybe being able to like his gambles, like not hurting the wolves off the ball as much if he wants to, because Rudy Gobert is just there to clean up things around the basket. It kind of makes me just super excited. And, and I, I think you look at this team and given how good Anthony Edwards already is on defense and having Jaden McDaniels there, having a good high IQ guy like Kyle Anderson there as well. I think this team could wind up being special defensively in a way that even a lot of people who are considering the best case outcomes haven't talked about just yet. And maybe because it's hard. I'm, I'm not sure people understand. And maybe I don't understand because I don't consider myself like this super <laughs> good X's and O's guy. But like Anthony Edwards to me is already just a good defender. And like now you have Gobert and him another year into like Edwards is now another year into his career. And I really like Kyle Anderson, even though the fit on this team's a little bit wonky offensively. And Jaden McDaniels is still here. I just feel like they could be really special on the, that end of the floor. Yeah, I think the, there's a lot of potential. I don't think we know yet how good Anthony Edwards can be on that end um, because, you know, he was so young when he came into the league. It was clear that, you know, before Tom Crean, he probably hadn't been coached a ton. I even remember times in his uh, rookie season when, like, Jared Vanderbilt would be, you know, directing him to his spots on the defensive end. Like, he had just had no idea where to be. Um, and so the fact that, um, you know, he's able to get to this point, you know, where you're able to say those things about him now, where he's no longer that liability is, you know, super encouraging. Uh, I think given his size, like he should be a good defender. I think just, you know, just showing up on the court, you know, he should be physically, he has all the tools to be a good defender. And I think, you know, learning more, um, and getting more experience, I think, you know, it's really going to help him. I think, you know, of course on both ends and Jaden McDaniels, I mean, it looked like I saw a picture of him that he posted and it looks like he's put on weight. And the scary thing was even when he was a rookie and, you know, he really had that slender frame, he held his own against some big guys. So if he's adding extra strength, um, I think that's only going to make him more for formidable down low. Do you have any concerns about this? I call it a dual big setup, but just like the roster now in general. And I think a lot of people have pointed to, playoff basketball because of how targeted offenses become and how they then might try and pick apart and exploit the dual big setup in Minnesota. Is that your actual concern or do you have another overarching concern about how all this pans out? Um, I, I, it's certainly a possibility. Um, I also don't think that Gobert has had anyone like cat next to him. I mean, Derek favors is, you know, was a fine player in his day. He was an NBA starter for years. Um, he is no Carl Anthony Towns. There was no Carl Anthony Towns. Um, so I, you know, I think having a player that where his skill sets kind of sort of complement, supplement Gobert's in a way um, could help their case there. But yeah, I mean, of, of course there is. I mean, Katz, you know, had his struggles on that end. Um, Gobert has also been sort of played off the floor. Um, I know people hate when they say that, but there's there have been issues with teams attacking Gobert um, for one reason or the other, you know, in the playoffs. Um, so, yeah, I think there's definitely the possibilities of all that. There, it's definitely not a certainty. Um, but I think my thing is you know, just get to the playoffs, you know. <laughs> like, I think that's the big thing is like, well, what about this or that? It's like, I get there. Like, that's, that's the big thing. I think they will figure it out. I think that early on Chris Finch showed a lot of um, aptitude of working these, these things in. Um, I know, like, I felt very different about watching – D'Angelo Russell under Chris Finch than I did watching him under Ryan Saunders. Um, and just the way that he sort of just seemed to sort of rein in some of his D'Lo um, tendencies. Um, so I think that there are ways for, you know, I think this will be, you know, just another um, tool for him to work with. I think, you know, on both ends too. Um, you know, I, I, Rudy Gobert, I think, you know, he's not a player. I think that people tune in to watch. I think, you know, it's not, he's not a guy like, Oh yeah, Rudy's, Rudy's, Rudy's on the court. Like we got to watch this until he goes to the bench. No one's doing that. But the things that Rudy Gobert is good at, he's very good at. I mean, I was even watching him with France, you know, this summer. And, you know, he's so strong when he catches it inside. And he's 
he's so big that it, you know, and it's an incredibly efficient shot. And I was, you know, writing about Sylvia Fowles' retirement from the WNBA. And I was, you know, thinking about the time that Cheryl Reeve was talking about how, you know, her team was settling for too many jumpers. And she was talking about that down there, that's 70%. Sylvia Fowles is a 70% shooter. She had everything at the rim out there. That's not 70%, you know? And so to that point, I think it's, it's kind of the same thing with Gobert. You get into him down there, 60, 70%. Um, and that's valuable to be able to get those shots at the rim, you know, almost any time. And I think, you know, when you have a guy like Cat who can help spread the floor and, you know, you're, are you going to help off a Cat to double Gobert in the post? I wouldn't think so. Cause you know, you give him open shots on the outside and he'll, he'll gladly take those. He doesn't have to do that dirty work anymore. So I think that's really going to benefit him too. And I think the other thing with the playoff concerns specifically, well, I guess it's two things, is Gobert's just never had this level of defensive athleticism in front of him in Utah, like between yeah. Anthony Edwards, Jaden McDaniels, and then I'm not calling Kyle Anderson athletic, but like to have that bigger body who's really smart using with his positioning, they can Kyle run Kyle Anderson just knows where to be. Right. And that's, and that's such a huge thing on both ends. There's, it's a like a prime Joe Ingles-esque thing of the way he defends. And to have that on mm-hmm. top of just the raw explosion athleticism of Anthony Edwards and D- Jane McDaniels being there, I think helps. And also there are probably very few teams, like there has to be an extremism to the way they play for it to be a true problem for the wolves. And I look at the West, you can go into the East and with Boston, maybe they're on there, but I look at new Orleans and then the Clippers as teams that are like, if they really wanted to try and cause matchup problems, they could for Minnesota defensively. And then maybe golden state, just because the Kavon Looney, Draymond Green, like both of those guys. And if you go Draymond at the five. So I actually don't yeah. think, I do think it could go belly up. Don't get me wrong. I just think it's less likely totally. when you look at like the teams that they're trying to go through. Yeah. And I mean, I think even like you look at the Clippers, I mean, the thing about, you know, the NBA is, you know, you have to, def- <laughs> you have to defend the other guys too. And I think you've run into the Clippers. I mean, beyond Avita Zubats, unless they add someone else, like that is their, that is their real center. I mean, PG and um, Kawhi are obviously problems on the outside. And, you know, they got Robert Covington who can play up front, but that's not that's not a ton of size relative to what the Timberwolves have. And, I mean, that's a, that's a matchup unto itself. And the Wolves, I think, you know, at least, you know, before, they had always, even when they weren't supposed to, they had always seemed to stick with the Warriors pretty well. I think maybe because there wasn't as much of a, I don't want to say not a system, but Steph Curry is kind of a system unto himself. Right. Um, with those sort of things where it was also free flowing and it, it seemed like the Wolves could sort of sort of grasp that a little better um but yeah that's just so much experience anyways um where even where even if you look at those guys and you're like oh yeah well they're they're older now it's like well they've also had a lot of time together and they've had a lot of success doing it where i would anyway just not be upset about losing to the warriors i think even you know if a healthy clippers team i would not be upset about the so Carl Anthony Towns gets a four year, $224 million extension. Then they also trade for someone who makes a ton of money, give up a ton to get him, and he plays what was Carl Anthony Towns' position beforehand. Is there like extra pressure on him to make this work, given that the in the same offseason, it feels like the Wolves paid him because he's a superstar, but also sought to cover up for stuff that he has just inherently not been good at? Yeah, I, th- I think that's. You know, like I was saying earlier, the Gobert trade ultimately seems to be like that sort of acknowledgement of what Cat is and what Cat isn't. Um, I think the biggest pain points with him were as him, you know, as a center. Um, I think you know a big part of watching him last year was, oh, Carl Anthony Towns, you know, early in the second quarter has three fouls. You know, is uh, Chris Finch going to pull him? You know, like just again and again. So, I mean, if this even helps him stay on the floor more so that he can do more at any position on the court, I think that's going to make a big difference. The So, forgive me for boiling it down to this, but we have to talk about Anthony Edwards. Totally. And by the end of next season, Anthony Edwards, if you could complete the blank in this sentence, will be a top what player in the NBA? ESPN has so him in the top 25 I was, already. I was going to say, he's, what, 23 right now? Uh-huh. I'll say 15, only with the hope that it's, it's going to be, oh, no, he's actually top 10 now. 
<laughs> but um, I, I think this, it's it's a it's a range of possibilities. I mean, like I was saying, um, he came in so raw, and he has just improved so much. And you wonder, like, how much better is this guy going to get? I mean, is he rapidly? I don't think he's peaked by any means, but you know, is he going to get a bit better, a ton better? I mean, are we talking, you know, a top five guy, one of the three best perimeter guys in the league? I mean, it still feels like so much is in play for him. Um, but also there, you know, there being no guarantees. Um, 10 to 15 kind of feels like the right range. He, I would say, I, I don't know if I'd predict it, but all NBA is his ceiling this year. Like, and that's his third year, which is wild. Um, the actual, the actual question I have for, well, not the actual, but what are you looking to see him improve upon most this year? Is it the playmaking? Is it, do you want to see him sustain? Like he shot, I think it was after the all-star break was like 34.4% on off the dribble threes. Is that something you view as sustainable? Is that something you're looking for more of him, especially looking at sort of the, um, pecking order of how the ball handling is going to pan out with this roster? I think, I think all of that. I think that these, you know, what he was good at when he first came into the league was being athletic and trying to score on guys. And there was, there wasn't really, we didn't see a ton of early on, um, you know, that sort of playmaking, even the defense. Um, I think the defense is a big part of that, especially, you know, if I think that would also really help play next to D'Angelo Russell. Mm-hmm. If he was, you know, if he also had a, you know, a even better perimeter defender there. So I, I think really, you know, all those things I think would be good to can see continual, um, improvements on. I know it kind of probably sounds like a cop out answer of sorts, but um, I think given that you know his where he came into the league and the path that he's on, I think those are all things he's going to need to do more of. Um, but I definitely think you know the the ball handling, the play, the scoring, you know that that's all there. That's not a problem. Uh, you know, as even you know looking at his shot and you know how much he's improved as a shooter and just how how good and clean it looked too, and just how far he's come with that already. I'm, you know, you could tell me that a range of outcomes for Anthony Edwards and, you know, short of any um, regression, um, pretty much any improvement is, is believable. I would probably accept for, you know, top five or whatever, you know, beyond that. But yeah, I think, you know, the, yeah, his ceiling is, you know, we don't know what his ceiling is and it's kind of exciting. The, yeah. And I think the thing I'm going to be watching for most, mostly because of how this roster is built to where, there's like him and Dilo, and then I don't want to say there's a ball handling void because there's a bunch of tertiary guys, but Anthony Edwards very much needs to be like the engine of this offense. And so I just look yeah. at the playmaking where he's so he's already good at capitalizing on this attention that he's commanding once he attacks, but is he able to do stuff at like a slower processing speed? Is he throwing something that looks two passes away? Is he passing guys open? Is he being proactive more than reactive might be the best way to phrase it because they almost need him maybe not immediately, but like they need him the way this roster is built right now to me makes me think that they believe he can be and will be that type of guy. Yeah. Those, those are the best. I mean, you think what the best wings do in this league um, and they do all the things that you just mentioned. Um, and I think given that this is now such a perimeter driven league that I think if this, I think if this team reaches its ceiling, you know, it's going to be because Anthony Edwards emerges as the clear, cut number one guy on the roster which isn't easy to do when you have Carl Anthony Towns on the roster he's great I mean I'm, I might have told the story before but I was you know I tweeted out I think before Anthony Edwards was even drafted that you know this team really needs to find a player that's better than Carl Anthony Towns and someone was like well how do they go do that I'm like I don't know man that's tough <laughs> like that's the hard part um, but the reality is if you get um, a wing like Anthony Edwards who can ascend to be even greater than Carl Anthony Towns um, and among the ranks in the league, I think that that really opens up, you know, what this team can be, not just this year, but in the future. Um, and yeah, again, we have that excitement of not knowing exactly, you know, what Anthony Edwards is going to be as a player. And yeah, it, it, it's incredibly exciting what that could mean, not just for him, but for the team as a whole. There's this idea that the Wolves elected to keep Jaden McDaniels rather than save more than one first round pick is the way that I'll frame it. Cause I don't want to say two first round picks outright. Is he good enough for them to view him that way? And what does he need to be offensively for this team? Is it just, Hey, 
you need to take more than three catch and shoot threes per game. And hey, you need to knock them down at better than a 31.5% clip. Yeah, absolutely has to be more efficient than that. Um, I think there's lots of like with him. Um, I mean, again, you got to, I think when you're, we're talking about how much they're going to be paying these guys uh, and how much they're going to be paying Anthony Edwards eventually, uh, you need to be able to keep these, your homegrown guys. I think that that's absolutely huge. Um, I, uh, watching that Memphis series, I think, you know, you saw, you know, how Jaron Jackson was used um, for Memphis and how, you know, I think it was game two when he just was bombing threes. Like it, it was absolutely ridiculous. And I don't think he has, um, I'm not a shot doctor, or anything, but like his, his, it's a push shot. Like it doesn't look as good um, as, you know, someone like, um, Jada McDaniels and um, Jackson's shot has been very inconsistent from the outside. I mean, I think he had one year of 37%. That's just been kind of it. Um, but yeah, I think there's a lot that Jada McDaniels could do, even if it is, you know, just you know, be a tough defender inside and um, probably want to see him take more shots from the outside. But he certainly has, you certainly would want to see him, I think, become, you know, 37, 40% or more three point shooter, really justify that. Um, there's definitely a lot of pressure on him to improve as well. D'Angelo Russell's still here too, which I think might surprise a lot of people. What is one? Do you think they still view him as part of the long-term core of this team? If only maybe because, well, they're out of trade assets and they can't sign anyone better because they punted on cap space, which is, that's a totally fine decision to make. And then specifically for this season, like what do they need to, for him to do um, to fit, to coalesce with this new setup that they have? Um, so, yeah, D'Angelo Russell, he's still here. Um, I, I was, like I said earlier, I was surprised that, you know, but maybe he would not be moved or he, w- he would be moved. Um, but I do think that there's, you know, a lot more that you want to see from him. That I think then we probably have in the past or a different player. Um, you know, cause yeah, I, I think, you know, Chris Finch has done a lot of good things for him, but I don't think that you want him to be so overcoached that he's, not even the same player or his, you know, production even suffers um, because he's just being so overcoached. Um, so you, you would still, I think there's still value in having to be the ball handler. Um, he can definitely shoot. I think his shot selection at times is a, is a little questionable, but I think that having, you know, hopefully having, you know, if Anthony Edwards improves and then having Carl Anthony Towns and, you know, having Rudy Gobert at the rim, hopefully that, you know, reduces the the need for him to feel like he has to, you know, win every game, you know, on every, on every shot, um, you know, and there's probably going to be a better option available than, you know, a contested step back three. I mean, even when they go in, you're like, yeah, fine. <laughs> but you know, you're, you're not going to take more. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You're not really happy with it, even though it went in. Um, so yeah, you know, hopefully that, you know, he's able to sort of expand his, uh, playmaking ability for others, even though I do think like, you know, he, he can move the ball, he can set up others, but you think you, you know, you want to see the, just see a little more of, of that now, especially with uh, Rudy Gobert on the roster. And I mean, he's on an expiring contract. I mean, I, I do expect that he's going to come out, you know, looking to have a really strong season. I think, I mean, of course I would say that anyway, but I think there's extra incentive um, given the contract situation. I honestly have no idea what his next deal is going to look like. Yeah, that's going to be uh, intriguing. I do think that this team is built to streamline the way that he plays on offense to where now that you have Rudy mm-hmm. Gobert, then with the threats on the outside of Anthony Edwards, who's fine shooting off the catch, Carl Anthony Towns is one of the best shooting big men in league history. It makes his mid-range game a, a lot more dangerous. It, like you said, it should weed out the way the structure is here that he doesn't need to take those step backs. And then also, I know he had a down year when you look at his efficiency, but it, historically, like he has shot well himself unassisted three-pointers and so he should technically get more of those with Anthony Edwards making the leap and then like the gravity that um Towns commands outside and then that uh Gobert commands when he's on his rolls to the basket and so I almost wonder if like this is sort of a simplification by force and that it ends up panning out really well for him yeah I think there's certainly value in having um you know a guy who can you know get to the mid-range he'll be great there because it's not you're not always like watching those playoff series again, it's like, wow, all these shots are tough at the rim outside. You have to be able to, to score at all three levels. And I think that if you have a guy, if Russell can hit those mid range shots, I think that's a huge advantage for them. What's interesting to me and maybe not others, but who's like the most important 
guard behind Anthony Edwards and D'Angelo Russell for this team. When they have, they signed Bryn Forbes and Austin Rivers. They have Jalen Noel and Jordan McLaughlin. They've said some pretty rosy things about Jordan McLaughlin over the past like year or so. And so is it immediately him? And do you trust him to sort of fill that role as like, let's call it the third guard or third most important guard on this team? Yeah, definitely. Um, Cause I, I, you know, you think like, it's a long season. I mean, guys are going to get hurt. They're going to be in and out of the lineup. Uh, you really need someone that you can trust back there. And it's, you know, Jordan McLaughlin, I think he did really well um, in the playoffs. I think, you know, like him and Jalen Noel, like, I don't know, I've always associated them um, together, I think, in their entire time. I think probably because they came up together, made the team at the same time. Um, like, but, you know, I, having that backup point guard is, is huge. Um, I, I think having someone, I mean, he, Jordan McLaughlin doesn't have a ton of size, um, but we saw effectively he can run an offense. Uh, he had one post-up touch as I was rewatching today. I'm like, oh yeah. I mean, I, I knew he could shoot a little bit from the outside, but his footwork inside, you know, on, on a mismatch, you know, looked good too. I mean, you know, he's a very skilled player. I think getting, you know, Jalen Noel didn't play much in that series, but I know that, you know, he's, Use a little bit differently, typically, um, but he also brings a little more size. So, I mean, I think any one of those two guys, but I think there's also, you know, the potential for Austin Rivers to be so that stabilizing veteran in there as well. Um, but, you know, I, I, I might not really answer your question too much, um, but if, if I had to say, it would probably be Jordan McLaughlin or Jalen Noel, one of those two guys. Uh Kyle Anderson signing, I loved it from a value perspective. His fit on offense here, depending on who's on the floor, feels pretty complicated. And so how do you feel about that? And is it going to be sort of a matter of, well, when they stagger, Gobert and Cat, like we're just going to tie Anderson and uh, Carl Anthony Towns' minutes together? Yeah, that's that's definitely an idea. I think even just watching him, I think the nice thing is he doesn't really need the ball, I think, to be effective. I mean... I just don't like, I watch him dribble. And I'm like, oh man, <laughs> like it's, I don't know that it's bad, but I mean, he really does live up to his nickname, but I think that he can be fine just sort of helping facilitate the offense and letting it come to him. Um, you know, it's not like someone like I've talked bad about Malik Beasley and granted they played different positions, but you know, Kyle Anderson doesn't need the ball to be effective. Um, if Malik Beasley didn't have the ball, you know, I, I don't think you were getting a ton from him otherwise. Um, but Kyle Anderson can help facilitate the offense. And I think that's probably fine. They also probably don't need him to do a ton. So I think that's probably a little bit easier to work out there. But yeah, I, I think to your point that something like tying him to Towns would probably make sense. Uh, there's probably going to be some pretty like substantial staggering between Gobert and Carl Anthony Towns. Do you see any, when they're going with those one center lineups or the solo Gobert or solo cat lineups, do you see any like specific structure that they need to sort of cater to with those two, where it's like I mentioned, oh, play Carl Anthony Towns and Kyle Anderson together when Gobert's off the floor. Um, is there any way that specifically you would flesh out like those type of units? Man, I really want to see it because <laughs> then I feel like the ideas would just be even clearer. Um, but I do think that, but yeah, there's a lot of potential for this team to, um, you know, maybe go even, you know, maybe a little smaller. Um, you know, maybe try some ant at the four, get really weird with it, <laughs> you know, given that they have all these guards too. Um, but yeah, I, you know, there's, and, you know, they have these, you know, some of these younger guys too, you know, like the Nathan Knights that were on the roster is really just good at, you know, he really just seemed like he came in and was just a hammer. Um, and he's about the similar size to Kyle Anderson too. Um, yeah, I, I, I kind of want to see it, honestly, to have a better idea. But, yeah, I think there's there's definitely a lot of options that they can go and feel like there's probably a, a lot of different ways that they can match those cases. But, yeah, I would imagine that they would do quite a bit of staggering. I don't know why you'd want to sit both Gobert and Towns for extended period of time. That If that happens, I don't know, maybe, I don't even like foul trouble, if they're both in foul trouble at the same <laughs> time. I, I don't know why you would ever do yeah. that. When you zoom out, take a step back and look at this roster before they've even played a game together, uh, what is the the single biggest weakness or concern that you have about them? I mean, so I think that they're so like they've obviously taken a step to get better. I don't know. I think there's just a lot of unknown and uncertainty of, you know, the Gobert piece is a big piece. I think people have always said about how, you know, to like defensively, like when he was in Utah, he was the system. He was the system unto himself. 
Um, but I also don't really believe that you can just take players from one team, move them to another, and you know have the exact same repeatable results. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this team is built wildly different than those Jazz teams were too. The talent that's available. Um, so I think there's just a lot of uncertainty and unknown about how some of these pieces would fit. I think that you know, like even your concerns about Kyle Anderson, totally warranted. Have no idea how that's actually going to look um, in practice. Um, even though it seems like, yeah, this guy's probably a nice, probably a nice veteran, but they also just have so many guards on the roster at this point. So many, and some of them are, you know, I think, you know, Bryn Forbes um, and Jordan McLaughlin. Um, they're all pretty much, you know, kind of smaller guards too. Um, so, I mean, how many of those guys can you have and play, you know, consistently? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how is that going to shake out? And, you know, Wendell Moore, does their, does their draft pick fit into this at all? You know, another guy like that. So there's a lot of pieces, I think, that they have to sort of figure out um, what fits and what doesn't fit. Um, it could be a combination of guys who maybe, you know, who have been here for a while that, you know, like, hey, maybe they don't fit with this roster anymore. Or, you know, the guy that they brought in uh, that, you know, they thought, you know, would be an upgrade really doesn't actually make sense in practice. Um, so I think there's a lot of interesting fits there to watch out for the uncertainties, but I think there's also, you know, the potential for it to go really well. And I think that also at the same time makes it exciting. One of my favorite things to do leading into the season is look at teams and try and identify, like, not that they have to have a 10 man rotation, but who are their 10 most used players going to be consistently. And with the wolves, I think it's kind of easy for like the first eight spots because you have your starting five with D'Lo and Jaden cat, and then Towns, uh, then Gobert, excuse me. I wrote Anthony Edwards twice in the outline I sent you, which is how high I am on <laughs> Anthony Edwards. And then I think Anderson, McLaughlin, Torian Prince, and maybe even Nas Reed feel like locks. I forgot about Prince. Um, and so, like, you're up to nine. And Prince might be kind of important because you're sort of mentioning just, like, they have a bunch of these, like, smaller guards or swingmen. You want, like, actual wings on the roster, and that's what Torian Prince very much is. But so it almost yeah. feels like they have nine just like rotation locks. And then that final spot will be duked out between Austin rivers, Bryn Forbes and Jalen Noel. I can't imagine. I know Wendell Moore has some like wing size to him, but will, will he even play as a rookie? So I'm just curious your, your thoughts on that 10 man setup. Am I off on anybody or how do you view that shaking out? No, I, I really don't think that you're off there. And I think that 10 spot is, it's really a good question. Like I was looking at the, you know, the team sent out the training camp roster. And I was like, this team is actually pretty deep. You know, there are a lot of years that some of these training camp invites or, you know, maybe like a two-way guy, um, like PJ Dozier, too. Um, right, yeah. Not a two-way guy, but he's on a, a training camp contract. Yeah, I think he's he might have been a roster. Guy. Yeah, he might have been a roster guy, you know, three or four years ago outright. And now that this is at such a point where it's like, I think PJ Dozier is an NBA player. He's not a perfect player, um, but he's a player that I liked watching when he was in Denver. Um you know, there's just so many guys on this roster that, you know, it's like, he's probably, he might not even get a job on this team. Like that's, that's just how deep they are. And I, you know, that, that 10 spot is going to be really fascinating because I think there's a lot of different ways that you can go. You know, cause I mean, you bring in Austin rivers, you know, you figure like, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, if you want to go the better and experienced route, um, if they can find a way to get Jalen Noel going more than they did in the playoffs. I think that was kind of not quite alarming, but you know, it was something to, take notice of for sure. Yeah. I mean, if look, if Jalen Noel is going to shoot like 39.4% from three, uh, I'd probably just pencil him in there over everybody. So, and he brings more of that size too. Right. Uh, so this, what should this team cr- go to crunch time unit be? Do you predict it's going to be just the starting lineup or could you see, I know a lot of people have talked like, Oh, they'll futz and fiddle with matchups when it comes to towns and Gobert. And my stance is you did not pay both of these players to go into crunch time, thing like that. I would argue if you're going to futz and fiddle, it probably happens like with the D low spot of the starting five members more than anyone. Yeah. And even that, I feel like you're probably going to have to do some selling to D low to get him to do that because he fully believes that he should be out there. And there have been, you know, there have been fourth quarters where he's actually, you know, one games for the team. I know that he's not, you know, everyone's the most favorite player. And I, I agree. He's, he can definitely be frustrating. Um, but, you know, there, I think there's probably going to be some selling out there if, if they're even going to go that route. But, yeah, I'm inclined to say just the starting lineup. 
is there a weirdo, bonkers, quirky lineup you want to see Chris Finch try <laughs> with this team? I'm kind of curious about some of these Anthony Edwards um, at the four lineup. I'm not sure. I don't know. I'm not sure who the center would be in that one. I think you can go either way with that. But I think the Gobert one's especially intriguing because we've probably seen even less of it than we have um, with Edwards and uh, Towns. I I want to see them go like full point guard list, which I imagine they might do quite often where it's, yeah, give me the two bigs, Gobert and Carl Anthony Towns, Jane McDaniels, Torian Prince, and then Anthony Edwards. And then maybe you have Austin Rivers instead of Torian Prince, but even Austin Rivers might be two point guard for me for that lineup. He's not a point guard, but I want to steer clear of anyone who resembles a point guard <laughs> and just see what it looks like when Ant, which is going to be the de facto engine any, anyway, but like, let's just... Let's cut out the ceremony and just make it known that Anthony Edwards is the point guard of this lineup. And those are the combinations I'm most intrigued by. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love that idea. I think it's awesome to have the idea of just not not a point guard, but this is our lead ball handler. And I mean, I think you really force a team to match up with a guy who's built like a linebacker. Six, like <laughs> seven, whatever almost. he is. Yeah. He's listed at only six, five. And I'm not what? sure I believe that. Oh, every time I watch him, I'm like, he's, he, you know what? He plays like he's six, seven, six, eight then. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so their current win total, as we record this over under is 48.5. Are you smashing the over or the under on that? And where, as of now, there are still things that could change. We haven't played a game yet. Where do you see them finishing in relative to the Western conference? Okay, I should have done this up before. I think I would go over on the 48 and a half, but not by a ton. Uh, you know, Jamal Murray being back, the Clippers being, you know, full strength. I mean, they're getting a little older now, but um, the talent on paper is absolutely right there. Um, the Warriors aren't going anywhere. Man, this is going to be rough. <laughs> I will say what I think helps them is just like there's going to be maintenance in LA with the Clippers. Yeah. There's going to be, I would assume for Jamal Murray, there's going to be maybe not Michael Porter Jr., but I would, at the two of them, like there's going to be maintenance in Denver. They're not just going to be, if they go full bore and those guys are playing back to backs, I'll be floored. That helps them. The Warriors don't give a fuck about the regular season anymore. Like they're four titles in, they don't, they don't care. So I think that, I think that where I'm not saying you have to say, oh, the Wolves are a better title contender than these teams, but regular season wise, I think I have them in the top four because I'm not. Yeah, they should absolutely have a home home court advantage in the first round. I think that's 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 a fair expectation. I think, um, and you know, look, I love Phoenix. You know, or have the last couple seasons, but the vibes in Phoenix right now are so bad that I, it's just. I said just they were going to. I said they were going to have the best regular season record again because I was just like, look, they might not be the title contender we thought they were, but they're a regular season machine. Then Aiton is like giving, hasn't spoken to Monty Williams like eight years or whatever it is. Jay Crowder didn't show up to training camp and he requested a trade. Uh, the, like you're right. The Robert Sarver stuff, the vibes emanating from that team are disastrous. They are catastrophic. It's right horrible. Now. It's not, it's not what you want to see. And I mean, it's unfortunate because I mean like Devin Booker is, you know, just, you know, getting better and better and just becoming this incredible player right before our eyes. And like when he should be, you know, getting back to the finals again and again, there's just all this turmoil and uncertainty. And, you know, I mean, some of that too, like you have Chris Paul, who is, you know, in the later stages of his career. And I mean, you never know, you know, what could go wrong with him at this point, whether, you know, it's a shoulder or hamstring or quad, like those things just happen to guys when they get older and they have this many miles on them. Um, so I think there's potential for some regression there. Um, I don't know, man, like Memphis, like, I mean, some, I've heard some people say like, Oh, they, Memphis could take a step back, but I think they, they, don't, will. they don't lose. They could, I, I mean, they fully could, but they didn't lose any games with John Morant out last year. So like, I, just, see it. I mean, this will be the fourth consecutive season. I'm wrong on Memphis. So take that with a metric ton of salt. I just, I, they're banking too much on internal development for me. And then you have the Jaron Jackson Jr. injury sort of floating around. They and yeah. Dallas are like my, and Utah obviously now, but like are my big Western Conference regression candidates this season. Yeah, Dallas is a good, but then like, you know, New Orleans probably slides up there a bit too. You know, I assuming filthy. Zion stays healthy. I'm, I'm so high on New Orleans, it's filthy. It's not, <laughs> I, I am, a, I would smash the over on this team too, though, at 48.5. And I'm also yeah. comfortable about how much I believe in them during the regular season because this is such a big 
it's, I don't want to call it experiment because the way Jared Vanderbilt was used last year, but like it's a big roll of the dice. There's that inherent combustibility, even if we can't see it. I'm just so sure it's going to work out. I have them as a title contender. They wouldn't be my title pick, but I think they're in that no. second tier of title contenders where it's like you have Milwaukee, Golden State's there. If you want to include the Clippers, but like in that, when we're talking about the mash of teams that are going to be in the second tier, I'm just so sure that Minnesota belongs there. Yeah, I mean, the, the talent is definitely there. And I think, you know, there's, I think, you know, to that, like, you know, if Anthony Edwards, you know, gets leaps and bounds better, Jada McDaniels takes another step. I mean, I think that there's really the potential for a force here. And, you know, I mean, I, I think that we've seen, even with how far, you know, Luca was able to drag Dallas last year. I mean, that's, that's not nothing. I mean, the West is tough, but I think that, you know, when teams look at, I, I, you know, I think some of the discourse around the team this summer was, oh, what about this team and this team? And it's like, well, with this sort of move, like the Timberwolves become what, sort of one of those teams that other teams now have to worry about too. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's kind of another boat that's been uh, risen here. And I will say, I'd be shocked if they're not one of like, the guaranteed playoff teams like this is just the West could be brutal. If everyone stays healthy, they would still, even if the Clippers and the Nuggets and the Suns are fine. I, I still think that they're very clearly in the top five, top six with just without question to me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like that's one of the few times in this team's history that you can point to and say that, yeah, that should be an expectation. Is there anything I didn't ask about this team that you think needs to be discussed? Something that's under talked about relative to them before I let you go. No, man, I think we've, I think we've covered just about all of it. I think this is probably, you know, one of the most exciting Timberwolves seasons that, you know, we've, we've had to look forward to. Um, I don't even think 2018 when Jimmy Butler, you know, joined the team was, you know, this exciting. Um, but it, it definitely seems like this team is positioned with, you know, a lot of depth up and down the roster um, and a lot of star power at the top. And just to see where it all, where it all goes is going to be a lot of fun. Derek, this was great as usual. Thank you so much for giving me a bunch of your time. In case anyone skipped the intro, are you able to tell our listeners where they can find you and the work that you put out? Yeah, so um, in August, I launched uh, my own Substack newsletter um, called By Derek Dreams, where I just you know write about the NBA, WNBA. I think I call it just professional basketball in general, whatever strikes me. Um, and so, yeah, I've pretty much been doing about once a week um, so far. Um, I think as the season goes and we get more and more, I want to increase that a little bit and who knows, maybe it grows into, you know, a podcast or two or whatever else, um, to fit in there. But yeah, it's, it's, it should be a fun time. And yeah, I cannot recommend following him enough on Twitter as well at Derek James NBA spelled exactly as it sounds. Thank you so much. And as I'm sure you know, by now I will be pestering you again in the future. Sounds good, Dan.